Father, we just pause. We pause, God. We pause in this place. Awed by your presence. Lord, we stand with hearts wide open. And we thank you that you are here and that you are God. And Lord, as we gather in this place, we've gathered for more than just coming to a building, seeing friends, drinking a cup of coffee, maybe serving in an area of ministry, hearing a message and leaving. God, we have come ultimately to encounter God Himself, the living God. So we ask You to be God in our midst. We ask You to touch and to lift and to pour out hope and grace and strength and healing. Lord, to reveal Yourself intimately and powerfully to everyone on this campus. To do what only You can do and to be God in this time that we gather together. And we just want to thank You for Your goodness. And we want to thank You for what You're doing even now. In the beautiful name, the powerful name, Jesus Christ. If you agree with that, say Amen. And before you're seated, why don't you high-five your neighbor and smile at him and let them know you're glad they're in church this morning. Well, it's great to see you. And we say it often, we just appreciate you being with us and worshiping with us. You drove by a bunch of churches to get to North Point, and we don't take that for granted. So thank you very much. We're thrilled to have you as our guest this morning. My name is John. I'm the interim executive pastor here, and on behalf of the whole team, we're thrilled to have you. Ushers are passing out welcome books. Uh, Chris mentioned last week, Chris Carter, about uh, that if you're not getting our email, get to the point, which gives you just the pertinent stuff, real condensed, what's happening week to week. And you want to be in the loop, you want to give us your email. If you're visiting, let us know that you're visiting. We're not going to make you feel weird or stand on your head or plaster you with red ribbons and embarrass you, but we do want to write you a personalized note just to say thanks for worshiping with us. And uh, so please do that. Uh, offering buckets are going to go by in just a moment. So before they do, I want to acknowledge our graduates. This is a pretty special time. It's graduation. We've got a lot of high school graduates. Not so many maybe in this service as was last service because of student life. But if you are a high school graduate, would you please stand? We want to acknowledge you and put our hands together for you. Go ahead, stand up. We do have quite a few of them in here. Very good. Congratulations. And uh, go ahead and be seated. It's that time of year. It's a great uh, demarcation point in your life. And I wanted to acknowledge you before the offering buckets go by because the old adage, don't just give applause, give money, right? So I, I, the buckets are going to pass in just a minute. I didn't want you graduates to be confused thinking that this, we're taking up an offering for you. So the ushers are going to come forward and wait on us. And uh, thank you for being generous in your giving. Thank you for honoring God with your giving. That's what we do at North Point. We believe uh, the words of Jesus. Jesus said to uh, bring our treasure into the storehouse. Jesus said to give and it shall be given. Jesus said that uh, we should put Him first and the kingdom of God first in every area of our life. And we believe that and so we practice it in the area of giving because money is a part of who we are and what we do. And we want to give that to God and honor Him 
in our giving. Thank you for being faithful, consistent, and generous in your giving. A couple things I want to make you aware of before we dive into a brand new series about Life Locked and uh, study in the book of Romans. A couple of things I want to make you aware of. Number one, that uh, we are really making great progress in our search for a new lead pastor. And the search team has a couple of guys in the crosshairs that look really, really strong as viable candidates. And we're hopeful that we'll be able to make some introductions as early as maybe mid-month, the mid-month of June. And so we will keep you apprised uh, as, as things uh, formalize. But uh, please be praying. This is such an important time to be praying. All of us as a congregation, we are believing God for God's highest and His best here at North Point. And this is just a, a very important season for us collectively as a church to be praying, to, believe, to be believing God, that we will be hearing from God, that we will have discernment, and that uh, we will land on the one that He has ordained to lead this great church. Can you say amen? Okay, so thank you for praying. And then number two, child dedication. On Father's Day, June 15th, we'll have a special time of child dedication. And uh, we don't believe in infant baptism at North Point, but we do believe in the biblical model. Jesus called children to Himself. He laid hands on them and He blessed them. And that's what we want to do. We want to dedicate our children publicly and formally to Jesus Christ. So if you have children and you'd like to participate in that, we'd like to know. We want you to pre-register. That's going to be a really, really special time on June 15th. You can let us know. Uh, jot a note. Drop it off at the, the, the uh, registration kiosk. Give us an email and let us know about that. So that's coming June 15th. Well, we are launching into a brand new series, Life Locked, Identity Theft Protection, from the book of Romans. So we'll be launching into the book of Romans and studying the book of Romans and allowing the Word of God to define us. And uh, we uh, are using the subtitle of Identity Theft because identity theft is as old as the garden. And we're going to go there in just a few minutes. Identity theft has been around a long time. And uh, our identities have been hijacked in many different ways. And... Uh, uh, we're going to talk about some of those, uh, not only personal experiences, but looking at some ways that that has happened in Scripture. And it's interesting, I was talking to a friend of mine, John Mashney, who is a, a recent graduate of Cooley Law School, and he's now uh, part of the firm at Foster Swift. Some of you may recognize the Mashney name. His father and brother are dentists in the community. And, and uh, John has been incredibly busy, as you can imagine, a brand new attorney at a a widely recognized and prestigious law firm. He's taken on a, a quite a large client load. The learning curve has been uh, pretty intense. And uh, just about a month and a half ago, John had a personal experience that he was sharing with me. He was two days away from going on a family vacation. This was mid-April, actually April 11th. And uh, he was getting ready to go on vacation. And as all of us can probably relate, it's more hectic getting ready to go on vacation than it is actually being on vacation. And then it's hectic after we get back. Anybody can identify with that, can identify with John. And so he was, you know, 60, 70 hours a week in his career. He was working hard to take care of a bunch of details. He was coming into tax season. It was the 11th. He didn't have all of his submittals to his CPA, so he needed to take care of that. And, and on top of planning and preparing for vacation and a huge client load and some stressful cases that he was working through on his job, he was also closing on the sale of his house 
and he and his wife Rachel were buying a house right here in DeWitt. And so they had to co- complete the, the closing on the sale of their home before they could secure and close on the house that they were purchasing. And so John went to the closing two days before he went on vacation only to find that there were some issues on the HUD statement. And so they began to discuss those. And long story short, they were there two hours and they walked away without closing on their house. There were some discrepancies uh, that couldn't be fully documented and understood, so they had to walk from, from the closing. And so now John is really feeling pressure because he's got to do a lot more legwork to clarify these issues in order to get the HUD right, in order that they can close on the house. And now it looks like he's going to have to do this while he's on vacation. And as many of us that are, that are busy and life is full, you know when you go on vacation, you don't want to deal with stuff like that. You want to be able to just leave everything at the office, leave everything at home, and just chill. Well, now he's looking at having to deal with this house closing. Well, uh, he was uh, working through the day and trying to get things done. One of the things he had to do was drop off his taxes. He dropped off his taxes to his CPA, and he got a, a, a phone call later that day only to find out that his taxes could not be submitted because somebody else had submitted a tax return under his Social Security number. His identity had been hacked. He was was a victim of identity theft. And now not only could he not close on his house, he couldn't file his taxes. He had to scramble and pull together. You can just imagine the pressure, the stress. And John said to me, he said, there were so many things that I was thinking about that I had to do in this small window before we left on vacation. I, li- I had to leave my wife to care for my two young children and pack while I was running all over town. And it was stressful. And so some of you probably can relate. I was talking with uh, someone after the service and they said, I know Dr. Mashney. Actually, there were 12 people that all used the same financial planner. The information was hacked and they all were infected by identity theft. Well, that's really the theme of our entire series on the book of Romans is identity theft prevention. And just before we go all the way back to the beginning, before we do, I want you to just take a look at this video that will kind of set the stage, not only for today's message, but for this entire series. Pete Townsend and the Who have been asking that question for about 40 years. Who are you? And that's really the question before us. That's the question that we ask and it's the question that we want to answer over this LifeLock series, Identity Theft Prevention in the book of Romans. Well, let's go all the way back to the beginning to a question actually that God himself asked that is the springboard for this entire series. And uh, it's a question that he asked of Adam and Eve. So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. But uh, before we read that, who I identify myself as and how I identify myself has huge implications in every area of my life. So we need to ask the question, who am I? The video that we just saw said that uh, if I'm defined by what I do, then I'll, I'll always have to do more. If I'm defined by my, my achievement, I always have to achieve more. If I'm defined by what other people say about me, then that opinion is always changing and it's always a moving target and I'm always going to be a frustrated person. And so let's go all the way back to the beginning. 
And let's see, actually, in, in the book of Genesis, the first couple of chapters, really what we read about is the entire human race, their identity being hijacked. Because identity theft is as old as the garden. It actually happened in the garden. Now we know the story. God created heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, He creates Adam. He, he, uh, Adam names all the animals. And then, and then there's not a helper suitable, so God creates Eve, fashions her out of the rib, and the two become one. And then we step into chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, and we're in the garden, and there's fruit, and there's a serpent, and you remember the story. And Adam and Eve figure out that it's a lot better idea, that they're smarter than God, and so they go ahead and they partake of the fruit. And that I want to pick up in those verses in Genesis chapter 3, where the Bible tells us after they partook of this fruit that was forbidden, they realized they were naked, verse 7, they sewed fig leaves together, they made coverings, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So you remember the story, they hid from God. God comes and asks, Adam, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were, and in this instance, we could insert naked. Who told you that you were in a certain condition? And what I want to do this morning is I basically want to fill in that blank. Because since the fall of man, man's identity has been hijacked. The Bible tells us that we were created in the image and in the likeness of God. And that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They sinned and that image was twisted and perverted. And here's God asking Adam in the garden this question. Who told you that you were blank? Fill in the blank. Since the fall, we've been trying to fill in that blank. We've been trying to accurately identify who it is that we are. And it's been difficult because we and this planet and the entire human race has been marred by the effects of sin. But the question that God asked of Adam and Eve back in the garden, He's still posing today. Who are you? How do you fill in that blank? What definition are you going to use? That's a very important question. The answer to that question is extremely pertinent and extremely important of whether it is life-giving or it is destructive and enslaving to you and to me. I want to talk about three different places that you and I can choose to live. We can choose to land in the we live rather in the land of Ur. We can choose to land, live in the land of Est, or we can choose to live in the land of B. And I'll I'll explain that, and it'll make more sense. But first of all, before we just before we dive into the first chapter of Romans, and we we'll tackle the first few verses this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the land of Ur. Because every single one of us has spent some time in the land of Ur. We understand the land of Ur. Because every one of us has had a drive at one point or another to be better. To be faster. 
to be smarter, to be handsomer. Sorry, that's not quite a word. Prettier, to be better, to be wealthier, to be wiser. You fill in the blank. It's the land of earth. We look around. We look to our right. We look to our left. We look at other people. And, and we try to ascertain who we are. And we come to this conclusion that I'm not all I should be. And I'm living in this land of earth. I've got to become something more. And for each of us in this room, it's probably something different. But it's the same in that it's the land of earth. Nicer. Stronger. As I said, wealthier. And so we live in this place where we're striving to become something more than we already are. It's the land of Ur. It's a land of great frustration. It's a land where there's no satisfaction because you never arrive. You never get there. There's always somebody that's a little bit ahead of you in whatever arena you're looking at that you want to define yourself. And unfortunately, it bleeds into our relationships. It bleeds into our marriage. We want to to marry somebody that's from the land of Ur. We want our children. We we impose this thinking on our children. And and, uh, now we would say we want our children to become all that they can be. And we want our children to strive for excellence. But all of us as, as parents have felt that pressure that our kids need to be nicer. Our kids need to be smarter. Our kids, well, your kids started reading at age five. My daughter was reading at age four. My, well, your son or daughter recognized the alphabet at age three and a half. My son recognized at age... All of us have, have experienced that pressure that comes from the land of earth. Not only upon us, but upon those that are part of our our lives, our, our, our spouse and our children, and, and, and it extends out to our co-workers, etc. I call it the land of Ur. It's a miserable place to live. And it's an incredibly frustrating place to, uh, to stay. The land of Ur. I remember, uh, Carrie and I met a couple that had spent several years out in Colorado in the mountains, and they were managing, they were they were running a large ranch for a for a actually for a husband and a wife, and the husband passed away, so they continued to manage it for some time for the widow. And it was part of a very large estate. Uh, and I, I don't recall how large this particular ranch was, but it was thousands of acres, and it was in the beautiful Colorado Rocky Mountains. And I don't know the value of that particular property, but it was, it was in the multi, multiple tens of millions of dollars. And so this, uh, this couple was managing this ranch. And I'll never forget what they told me about the gentleman that owned that, that eventually passed away and they were managing for. They said that the, 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 the man who owned this, they said he was never really satisfied. He was never really happy. He was living in the land of Ur. Now, now the, the individual didn't put it that way. I'm putting it that way in the context of what we're talking about this morning. But he was, he was suffering in the land of Ur. You see, when he died, he was only worth $800 million. He had this ranch. He had estates. 
in many different countries of the world. He had real estate holdings. He had all kinds of, of, of stock and certificate holdings. He had all kinds of investments. He had businesses. He had real estate. He was extraordinarily wealthy. But because he was living in the land of Ur, he died frustrated because he didn't achieve his goal. His goal, most of his adult life, was to become a billionaire. So he died frustrated and thwarted in his drive and his goal to become a man who was a billionaire. He, he only died a millionaire worth somewhere near $800 million. And, and you, most of us hear that and we just, we just roll our eyes. We think, what, what's wrong with that guy? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that guy. Same thing that's wrong with me. And the same thing that's wrong with you when we try to live in the land of Ur. Now, you may be dealing with fewer zeros. I certainly am. But the principle's the same. And the land of Est is very similar to the land of Ur. Because the land of Ur is just striving to be more, to become more, to do more, to achieve more. To, to become a little bit more like what we think others are expecting of us or that we need to be and how we identify ourselves. But the land of Est is simply this, that you have to be in a class all by yourself. You're not content with Ur. You've got to be Est. You're not content to be wealthier. You've got to be wealthy Est. Right? You're not content to be smarter. You've got to be smart Est. And you just, you fill in the blank. We can use a lot of different words. So it's the land of Ur, the land of Est. Oh my goodness, that, that's a miserable place to live. That's a frustrating place to live. Because just as soon as you get there, and you think you're the Est, and you think you're the best, somebody else is going to come, and they're going to be better. And again, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough place to live. It's a miserable place. It's a frustrating place to live You've got to be the fastest, the biggest, the strongest, the wealthiest, the tallest, the busiest, the most importantest, the spiritualist. I'm making up some words, but you get the idea. The land of Ur, the land of Est. And then Paul introduces us in the first chapter of Romans to the land of B. And oh, what a beautiful place that is. And I, I, I just want to introduce it to you this morning. And what, what, a, what, a, what an enormous task is before us to delve into this amazing book in the Bible, the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, just I've been studying and I've been reading and I've, I've been so humbled and so challenged and, and, and so on my knees before God that I need His help to be able to, to really accurately articulate the, the truths that are found in this amazing book in the Bible, the book of Romans. And uh, I was reading some different quotes, listening to and, and reading some things. John Piper uh, says that the book of Romans is the greatest single book ever written in all of human history. Now that's quite a statement. And he says that over any other book of the Bible, not to diminish any other aspect of Scripture. He says the book of Romans is the greatest book ever written. There's some pretty heavy hitters that would agree with him throughout history. Do you recognize a man by the name of Augustine? Lived in... Uh, 3rd century, 386 A.D. Augustine received Jesus Christ as his Savior after reading a passage from the book of Romans. He went on to become one of church history's 
most outstanding and influential leaders and theologians. You recognize, you recognize the name Martin Luther. Martin Luther and the Reformation. Night and day, Luther says, I pondered Romans until I grasped the truth. I felt myself to be reborn. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway of heaven. The passage he's referring to is Paul's writing where he says, The just shall live by faith. The book of Romans radically transformed his life. Several centuries later, John Wesley also powerfully impacted the year 1738, May the 24th. John Wesley wrote about his study in the book of Romans, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation and an assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins. John Calvin in assessing the importance of the book of Romans, said when, when one gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. William Tyndale wrote of the book of Romans in the 16th century, it is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament. No man can read it too oft or study it too well, for the more it is studied, the easier it is, the more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is, and the more it is searched, the preciouser things are found. See, he struggled with vocabulary too. So er and ist and pleasanter and preciouser, it's good stuff. And so we endeavor with God's grace and help to launch into this amazing book of the Bible. And I want to start with the first seven verses. And as I said, I want, I want to bring you, invite you into the land of B. Paul opens this book. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, literally in the Greek, a slave, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through Him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from, that comes from faith for His name's sake. So Paul is writing to the church at Rome. The church at Rome was primarily made up of Gentiles. There was two classes of people. There was Jew and there was Gentile. The Gentiles were the pagans. They were the ones that had no, uh, at least Judeo, background. And uh, Paul is writing to them to help them be firmly established in this gospel that he preaches and in this faith that he talks about throughout the book of Romans. What I want you to listen to is verses 6 and 7. Because I want you to listen and see if you can catch what Paul is referring to, what I call the land of B. Listen to verse 6 and 7 and see if you can pick it out. Paul says, you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people Grace and peace to you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you catch it? Paul talks about the land of B. 
Paul says three things about this land. Really, to be more specific, it's about our identity. Who and what God calls us. Because at the end of the day, all that matters is God's opinion of me. And as we saw in that video, what, how I should define myself, my identity must ultimately be drawn from the lips of Jesus, from God and what He says, from the author of all truth, I must define and draw my identity from His words. And Paul gives us a description of what God calls us. And he uses three words to describe it. He says that you are called in verse 6, first to belong. You're called to belong to Jesus Christ. Secondly, you are loved or literally beloved. You're called to belong, you're beloved, and you're called in verse 7 to be holy. We're going to talk about those things just for a few moments. And then I'm going to invite a friend of mine and somebody that many of you know to the stage just to tell his story about living in the land of Ur and living in the land of Est and then ultimately discovering the land of B and what that meant in his life. And so I'll introduce Mike in just a few minutes. But Paul says something that we need to get. And what we need to understand is Paul is writing, and there's a little three-letter word that I want to be sure that you hear and that you see in this text. Paul's writing to all the Gentiles in Rome. Verse 7. To all in Rome. Can you say that word all? Who's, who's he writing to? All of them. Not some of them. Not a few of them. Not a select few that have achieved a certain level of spiritual maturity. Not just a select few that have achieved and earned the limited, exclusive title of being a saint, but he's writing to all the believers in Rome. And he uses these descriptors for every one of them. You know why that's important? Because what you and I do, we tend to do, we tend to look to our right, and we tend to look to our left. We tend to look at our, our neighbor. We tend to look at our spouse. We tend to look at others to see how we're doing. And we're right back in the land of Ur. But listen to what Paul says. This is what God says about the true Christ follower. The person that has been justified by faith. I'm, I'm making that statement. I'm getting way ahead of myself. That's the summary of the entire book. But Paul comes out of the gate making these statements. And that's important. This isn't at the end of the book. It's at the beginning. This is God's definition. And he says, first of all, Paul uses the word called. You've been invited. I like that word. You've been invited, first of all, to belong to Him. I like that. I belong to Him. I'm His. He purchased me. He owns me. 
That's why, that's why Paul said the very first verse when he identified himself as a servant, as a bondservant, literally as a love slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he described himself. He belonged to Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you belong to Him. He owns you. He has purchased you. And God doesn't use Craigslist. He doesn't buy you one day and sell you the next. Like some of us do. Just sold some stuff on Craigslist. I love Craigslist. I love it. And I buy stuff on Craigslist. It's fantastic. You get some amazing deals on Craigslist. But God doesn't use Craigslist. He purchased. We belong to Him. Man, I'll tell you what. You can just, you can meditate a long time on that right there. See, this is the land of B. This is, this is the place God wants you to dwell. This is where He wants you to live. This is how He describes you. You are His. You belong to Him. The second thing that Paul tells us about this place is that we are beloved by Him, or we're loved by Him. We're His beloved. We don't call Him that. He calls us that. Remember, this isn't to a select few in Rome. This is to everyone. Let's, uh, I, I didn't do this in the 9 o'clock, but it just occurs to me. You know, stop and think, who's the person in your mind that is the most like Jesus that you know? Now don't say their name out loud. But I, I just want you to think about them for just a moment. It's probably easy for you to see them as belonging to God. It's probably easy for you to believe and to see that they are beloved by God. And even that they have been called to be holy and to be a saint. It's probably easy for you to see that about them. But the transition needs to become, you need to see that about you. And there's something in most of us that goes haywire in that transition. Because we think about somebody else, whoever that person is, whoever that, 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 that we hold up as a model and as an example. And we say, that that's what it means to be a true... That person was loved by God. That person was precious and valuable to Him. What in me, what, what's in my wiring that causes me not to be able to see that about myself? Because that, that'll trip you up. That, that'll ruin you. That will keep you far from God. It will keep you far from the Gospel. It will keep you far from freedom. The grace and the peace that Paul invoked upon virtually everyone that he wrote to multiple times. And we read it here in verse 7. That, that we, to all in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be His holy people, grace and peace to you. When we realize this, Grace and peace come. And all of life changes. So Paul says, number one, we belong to Him. Number two, we are loved or beloved by Him. It's a, it's a term of deep endearment, of value, of esteeming, of considering dear, even, even of being God's favorite. 
That's one of the shades of meaning in this Greek word of loved by God, being God's favorite. Isn't that a beautiful notion? Now realize, in one sense, God has no favorites because He loves us all. But God does have favorites. And you are one of His favorites. You are beloved. You are loved by God. And when we delve more into chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we begin to realize the backdrop that Paul paints on just how broken you are and I am, just how bad it really is, and the depth and the level of our brokenness, then these words become even more jaw-dropping. They become even more astounding. Because most of us don't really understand the Gospel. And I'll prove it to you. We think we're a pretty good person. We're just broken in a few areas. Well, stick with me for a few weeks and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll help you with that thinking. Paul does a great job of helping us with that thinking. We're called to belong. We're called to be loved. And thirdly, we're called to be holy. We're called to literally, some, some translations are be holy. Other translations are to be a saint. Now, now this is going to blow you. Some of your religious minds are going to be blown right now by what I'm going to say, but it's right here in these verses. <clears throat> Paul writes that you're, you're, you, don't, you don't just belong and you're not just beloved, but he's called you to be holy. He calls you holy. He, he literally calls you a saint. Now, in some denominations, you've got to work long and hard, and there's a very remote, small, select few that are actually canonized as saints. But remember that little three-letter word that Paul was using when he was writing? He said, I'm writing to, what was it? All of you. And you're all called to belong. And you're all called beloved. And you're all called holy or saints. So just smile at your neighbor and say, you know what? I didn't realize you were that, that highly esteemed by God. Just smile at your neighbor and say, you're, you're amazing. Wow. Now, now here's what's going to blow your mind. This, this word holy in verse 7. God calls you as a Christ follower. He calls you holy. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, that's a theological term, but dang, that, that's not my experience. God calls you holy. Now this is going to blow your mind. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says in verse 1 that God set him apart for this, the preaching of this gospel. And then he begins to talk about the gospel in verse 2. He says, The gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Say that. Holy scriptures. How, how many of you believe the scriptures are holy? Yeah. That's a sacred book. It's the same word. Paul uses the same word to describe Scripture that he uses to describe you as a follower of Christ. Now, I don't know if that blows your mind, but that blows my mind. That blows my religious mind. I, I, wow. That, that, gives, that gives me pause. That God calls me to belong, he calls me beloved, and he calls me a saint. He calls me holy. 
That's mind-boggling. That's amazing. That defies logic. But that is God defining me. So we need to delve. We need to understand. We need to embrace. We need to believe. Paul talks about the obedience of the Gentiles that comes by faith. You see, here's the challenge. We need to begin to believe God's telling the truth about me. We need to believe that. That's what the book of Romans is about. It's a book of faith. It's a book of belief. Now, there's some other material that I dive into, but I, 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 wanna, I really want to get to a testimony. Uh, I want to introduce Mike Beebe to you. Some of you know Mike, and uh, he's been a part of North Point for, for a number of years. And uh, I, I would describe Mike as somebody who is a, a victim of identity theft in a, in a very real regard. Would you, first of all, give a warm welcome, Mike Beebe. And uh, Mike, uh, thank you for being transparent and honest about, about your own areas of brokenness that uh, you'll share with us. But, but uh, you were hijacked in your identity. You bought into a, a description of who you were and a concept of who you were supposed to be that developed over many, many years through your childhood and uh, your teenage years and so forth. But you really came to believe some things about yourself and you strive to become those things and it really, uh, it really achieved the opposite of what you were striving for. It was damaging not only to yourself but to those that you love. So tell us a little bit about your story. And, uh, First of all, we have a Thanks so much, Mike. Mike Beebe, everybody. God bless you. Thank you. appreciate Mike being transparent and really the, the simple and powerful connecting the dots there is, is him really realizing he couldn't do what he needed to do on his own and he really couldn't become that person that everybody else expected him to be and, and as we prepare to close and the worship team comes and, and we close out this uh, worship experience singing together and lifting our hearts to God, I want you just to close your eyes for a moment just have just a, a moment or two of quiet reflection. And I want to ask how many are here today and maybe it's something said earlier, maybe it was something that Mike shared in his testimony and maybe you can't fully relate to Mike. Maybe, maybe your land of Ur is a little bit different than his. But you're here this morning and you realize that some things are out of whack that there's unhealthy balance, that you've bought into a label and an identity that is something other than what God Himself declares about you and has decreed for you. And how many by an upraised hand would say, Pastor John, I recognize that this morning and I'm inviting God's help to do in me what He's doing in Mike Beebe and others. God bless you. So many hands going up. I just want to pray for you as we close this morning. If you want to hold your hand up before the Lord, you can do that. Not, not because I need to see it, but just upraised hands are a posture of surrender. And this morning, Father, we, we recognize that apart from You, we can't do anything. Lord, 
Thank you for Mike's testimony. Just realizing he couldn't do what he needed to do on his own and he couldn't do it by just exerting more willpower and strength and working a few more hours. He opened up to your grace in his life. And some significant changes are happening. And Father, this morning we acknowledge we, we, can't, we can't do this Christ-following thing. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it by ourselves. And in fact, God, You call us the very things that we long to be. So help us really embrace and understand and internalize what You say about us. That in Christ and through Christ, we belong. That we are beloved. And that we are holy and saints. Thank You for that amazing truth and reality. Thank You for operating and working in our lives by Your strength and grace in the powerful name, Jesus. Let's exalt Him together this morning.